Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of our FinTech podcast series for FinSight, the global financial institutions industry podcast. My name is Sue McLean, and I'm a partner in Baker McKenzie's technology group in London and our global tech lead for FinTech. This is the second of two episodes we are dedicating to the hot topic of crypto assets and law and regulation. If you're interested, please um, check out our new guide entitled Crypto Around the World, which looks into these developments by answering 20 key questions. Joining me again today are the three leads of the project, Iris Barsan, counsel at Baker McKenzie's Paris office, who specializes in banking, financial regulation and compliance. Chris Moore, a U.S. attorney in our Zurich office, focusing on fintech, international tax and wealth management. And Julian Hue, an associate in the financial services group in our London office. Welcome to you all. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Sue. Thank you. Okay, so by way of recap, in our last episode, we we did a bit of an introduction into crypto, discussed some of the more general considerations around crypto assets. So I'm going to ask us to dive straight into a, a more detailed discussion about some of the legal and regulatory issues that we have to navigate here. So first of all, we touched upon this a little in the first session but I think it's really interesting to understand how are regulators approaching market abuse type risk with crypto assets? And perhaps we'll start with you, Julian. Yeah, thanks, Sue. Um, so in the UK, we actually haven't seen much movement on this front uh, as yet, unless the crypto asset actually falls within an in-scope MAR sort of definition. So for example, crypto assets, which are structured as securities, which have features as similar to securities, will be subject to MAR. Um, or the UK onshore version of MAR. Um, but we're not actually seeing specific regulation in that regard. Uh, obviously, with MICA, though, there is actually a bit more of a move to uh, include specific provisions relating, relating to market abuse um, in with respect to crypto assets. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this does play out, particularly you know, when we see some big influencers who can tweet and move the price of a crypto asset by you know, multiples of percentages. It'll be interesting to see how regulators approach that, in particular where those those influences sit outside the jurisdiction. Um, so I think it's more of a wait and see at this point as to how that will come into effect. But it's interesting to note that MICA has actually included that. Yeah, and Iris, um, what's your perspective on this and, and, and how do you think the, the, the rules might continue to develop in this area? Yes, I think there is um, a huge need for uh, rules on market integrity because this is decidedly a market. And on any market, be it energy, be it financial instruments, you have can have insider dealing, manipulation. You can have statements that are going to influence uh, the, the the course of, of of an asset and and or the value of an asset. And so, you 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 decidedly need rules around these topics. And as Julian already said, we see this emerging with MICA. Um, and the same the same holds true for the EU and I think other countries, you only cover market integrity on crypto if your crypto has characteristics of a, a known financial instrument, right? And so the, the anything that is not already within the bucket of MAR, for example, is not covered by rules on market integrity. And I think this is a, a huge loophole. So... Uh, it's certain that we will have more and more regulators going into this and providing for uh, rules that are probably going to be quite similar to what we have on financial instruments, what we also have on energy trading markets, because um, 
Remit, the Remit regulation that is tackling market abuse on energy markets is inspired by MAR and so by the regulations on financial instruments. And I'm pretty sure, and there is, by the way, no reason to do differently if uh, the problems are identical, you will probably see uh, very similar rules emerging on pure crypto markets. And I certainly want to echo that thought that it would be really helpful, I think, um, for most people in the industry across the various jurisdictions to have more rulemaking that's coordinated among the various regulators um, to help, I guess, give some more guidance to the people trying to work in this field. I think a lot of people feel that you know, the guidance we get is based on watching what enforcement actions the regulators undertake. Uh, so you basically try to determine what you can do based on what the regulators have gone after as bad actors. And so if you see an enforcement action, you basically have to interpret what that um, company or person did and make sure that you don't follow suit. A lot of the enforcement actions, though, are based on very bad circumstances. So it's really hard to get a sense of what are the true parameters. And so I think that is something that's greatly needed across the industry is to have more coordinated rulemaking or guidance. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. And if we move on to the next topic, which I think is another really interesting topic around crypto, and that's the sort of global mega trend of ESG and how compatible this is with crypto. Um, I, you know, we often hear these statements that Bitcoin mining, you know, generates as much CO2 as New Zealand and uses as much electricity as Chile and, and these types of comparisons. And, and so a lot of criticism around or a lot of concern around crypto in terms of how sustainable it is. On the other hand, you get people arguing that, you know, a lot of crypto is mined using renewable energy and therefore there is sort of a balance there. Um Julian, do you have a perspective in terms of how do you consider the sort of ESG challenges that cryptocurrency market participants are facing if they're very keen on diversifying and investing in crypto, but they also have ESG um, objectives? Yeah, so I think this concern around the energy input that goes into Bitcoin mining, it's always very difficult to tell here is how serious, I guess, the issue is. Obviously, it's got a lot of press recently about it being very high energy intensive and therefore also quite bad for the environment in terms of the carbon emissions created. Of course, really, the input into that energy. So, for example, if we're using renewable energy to actually do the Bitcoin mining, well, in that case, it doesn't really matter that much because it's really just about that energy source that it comes from. Um, I think this question about the ESG kind of angle of cryptocurrencies does have those two sort of viewpoints. The first is, I guess, what is the impact of crypto as an investment? But then the second point is really around how can we use blockchain in that ESG sort of um, sphere? And I guess with this podcast, we're really just focusing on that first question about the investment. Um, so the second point, I guess, is is then also looking at new different types of, uh, of crypto assets. So, for example, I think we've seen things like Cardano uh, and SolarCoin, I believe it is, uh, and BitGreen and some of these sorts of crypto assets which are designed to actually both uh, be more energy uh, efficient but also in some cases like with SolarCoin to almost reward certain types of green behavior. So really 
it, it's only as green as the coin itself. It's not an inherent feature of all crypto assets, really. I guess the final point to note is it'll be interesting to see how green asset managers are actually looking at these crypto assets. So, for example, if you are a green fund and you do actually hold any crypto assets, can you call yourself a green fund if you're, you know, holding bitcoins, for example? Um, and that's not entirely clear because we don't really know yet what the, the impact of actually Bitcoin on the environment has been. Thank you, Julian. And Iris, what's your perspective on this? Thank you, Sue. So um, I must say, I, I think I have a, a, perhaps a slightly different perspective on the ESG topic and, and crypto, even though I agree with a lot of things uh, Julian said. I think in this topic, you have three questions. The first one is the one you touched upon yourself saying, is crypto in itself green, given the, the, the energy consumption needed to to use um, the, the proof of work consensus algorithm. Obviously, it is better to use green energy to uh, validate the transactions than uh, regular energy sources. But still, there is a lot of energy consumption. So even if it is green, it consumes a lot of energy. So uh, is it is it justified to consume as much energy for something that right now is still quite speculative. So that was would be the first point. And here I must say the industry is aware of the problem. And they're they're gradually trying to move away from this proof of work consensus algorithm to adopt a more energy friendly uh, uh, consensus algorithm like proof of stake or delegated proof of stake. So there are actually a couple of blockchains that are not work, uh, working with proof of work, but working with other consensus algorithms that are not consuming so much energy. Uh, the second question is, as Julian said, crypto as an investment. So you have the whole ESG topic. So can you invest um, in uh, crypto if you have ESG characteristics. And here I must say the landscape might be or become at least quite complex because obviously you can use tokens uh, in form of securities or in form of, of other repress representations of rights in order to represent assets that are green, that are social, and that could uh, very well, very well uh, comply with the ESG criteria, right? Um, you also have, as I said, a couple of funds that can already invest in crypto. So it basically really depends on what are you investing in? And then there is a, a broader underlying topic, which is not really the, the investment side, but the technological side of blockchain. You can obviously use blockchain in order to uh, promote ESG, to promote, reflect, for example, voting rights, gender equality, uh, employee vo voting rights like, like participation, co-determination. You can use tokenize, for example, any, any kind of social engagement into, into whatever you want and any kind of environmental engagement. So there is a link between crypto and ESG, but I think you just need to distinguish what we're really talking about because there, to me, it seems that there are different dimensions in the topic. Yeah, I totally agree, um, Iris, with that point. And I guess, you know, it's important to keep in mind that I think the underlying spirit of a lot of crypto projects and certainly Bitcoin in particular was financial inclusion. So the idea that we try to give more people around the world access to a financial system that's more inclusive uh, so that, you know, people that had access to the traditional banking system 
could interact with people who did not have access to that. And then people who did not have access at all to the financial system could interact with each other. And that is a system um, that people are still trying to promote and would certainly further uh, the second letter of ESG, I think the social aspect. So it's something that I think we should all keep in mind. No, I, I agree with you, Chris. And I would even say that with the global stablecoin topic coming up more and more, uh, financial inclusion is a huge It's actually accessible because mm -hmm. even though that was the ambition of Bitcoin, the volatility didn't help. But if you manage to tackle the volatility, then obviously you can give people access to uh, financial needs, uh, whatever they are, be they in form of a monetary value or even an investment opportunity uh, around the world and for a cheaper price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's definitely a conversation that's going to continue uh, with the increased focus on ESG. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting topic. So I think, well, in our in our, in my final question, I'm going to ask you. Let's look ahead. Um, can you give me your perspective and what some of the future developments affecting crypto assets that you think we need to be on the lookout for? Maybe I'll start with you, Chris. Sure. And I guess um, it's to the future, but it's also happening uh, in the present, as a lot of things are in this industry. It's just to the extent that they have bubbled to the surface. Um, so I think DeFi or decentralized finance is something that should be on everyone's radar. It's already popular and in certain circles, uh, but I don't think it's really reached the public's awareness yet. But it will cause a reckoning, I think, with pretty much everyone in the financial services industry, <laughs> including us lawyers. Uh, so I guess just... For a little bit of background, DeFi is a it's a form of finance that doesn't rely on uh, certain central financial intermediaries like brokerages, exchanges, or banks uh, to offer financial instruments. Instead, parties interact directly. Uh, they enter into a transaction where the terms are set in a protocol or a computer program, and the protocol controls and executes the transaction for them. Uh, so those could be you know shorts, loans, um, any sort of balancing of investment profiles. And no other party is involved in these transactions uh, for custody or escrow or to facilitate or anything like that. And it is the, the idea, again, behind is going back to the last question is to how how to get more financial access uh, to people who may not have it through the traditional means. And I think this will really uh, cause a reckoning again with what is a financial institution? Uh, how are these transactions viewed from a legal perspective? And then for us lawyers also, who is the client? I think that's something that we'll have to grapple with. Great stuff. And what about you, Julian? What what do you see in the crypto asset future? Yeah, I agree with Chris's point. I think DeFi will be a very big and interesting one for us, uh, particularly everyone involved in the financial services sector, um, as it sort of removes some of those intermediaries. I think the other really big one will be central bank digital currencies, and we're starting to see a lot more movement on that. I think China was has been a sort of first mover, but the UK is very quickly trying to catch up with its idea of Bitcoin, if you will. Um, and I think the reason this one's so interesting is not just the impacts on each of the financial services sort of industry participants and members of that, that that industry, but it could actually have very big ramifications from a monetary policy perspective as well by allowing governments to get much more involved directly with individuals. I mean, obviously, this will depend on the way that they structure these central bank digital currencies, but there is scope for, you know, 
the central bank to actually interact directly with with sort of I guess just members of the economy. Um, I think the other point with those central bank digital currencies is that financial inclusion point that it can actually increase that as well. So I think Iris's point earlier that you know some of the volatility with these crypto assets might undermine the attempt to sort of encourage financial inclusion. But obviously with CBDCs, it, it, it seeks to sort of get rid of that um, that volatility. And so if we're starting to see some CBDCs being issued, it could be quite an interesting development, I think, going forward. No, absolutely. And, and I know that, you know, there's there's also a lot of focus on this in, in the US uh, with the digital dollar project and in, and in other countries. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, a bit of a run to the finishing lane. Who, who's going to get there quickest and, and how is this going to develop and change over the few next few years? It's going to be really interesting. Iris, what is your perspective? What, what do you think, you know, if you put your crystal ball out, what, what do you think is coming our way? Well, I mean, we are in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment that is already just in the baby steps, right? So it's, it's not mature yet. You have second, third, even fourth generation blockchains that hopefully will be live soon and really operational and we will have more than just uh, investing and speculating on crypto and that is going to raise so many new legal questions um we touched upon a lot of new questions like market integrity like julian mentioned it stable coins and so on and so forth so i think we we will see a lot of, of, of regulatory intervention. I always said that 2021, 22 is going to be the, the year of the regulators because everyone is either in the pipelines or already adopted some, some kind of leg- legislation. So this is going to, to move uh, forward. Um, but I, I also think um, that we will have new legal questions that perhaps we didn't look into at all yet that are going to, that we're going to be confronted to. For example, I just said that um, because of the energy consumption of uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies, there is a move towards another consensus algorithm, which is the proof of stake or delegated proof of stake. And this consensus algorithm will raise quite a couple of questions with regards to corporate law and securities law that, uh, to my knowledge, have not been answered yet. So I think we can pick from an awful load of topics we will see um, in the headlines and advancing gradually in the in the, in the weeks and months to come. And it's, it's a never-ending story because we are in an environment that is still uh, that is still uh, totally effervescent and still advancing and trying to see what its own boundaries are. So I think we're, we're going to be busy on this topic in, in, in the future days, years, and months to come. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that's why I find the, the whole area of technology and the law just so interesting because, you know, we as lawyers are always playing catch up in terms of what's being developed and what's being created. So thank you again for joining me today, Chris, Iris and Julian. I think we've scratched the surface only on what is a fascinating topic, but undoubtedly one that we'll come back to in future episodes of Insight. If you found this podcast helpful, please do check out our Crypto Around the World publication available on BakerMcKenzie.com. We have added new jurisdictions in the most recent version, including Hong Kong, Spain, Malaysia, China, Liechtenstein and various African countries. And no doubt we'll be continuing to update this as new law and regulation is introduced or developments um, take place around the world. So please do keep an eye out for those updates. Once again, I'm Sue McLean and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us for the next episode of Finsight.